For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on the one and only Ivor Cummins, aka the Fat Emperor. So, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Oh, great. And it's an honor to be here. My kids and my medical doctor friends as well are all excited. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So for people who aren't familiar with who you are and what you do, can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I'm around nearly 30 years as a corporate kind of manager, technical manager, master technologist. Problem solving was my specialty and leading teams and solving complex problems in corporate. And then around eight or nine years ago, I got some poor blood tests, very unsatisfactory meetings with several doctors, including a professor of medicine to explain them. And I researched them myself. And within a while, I found out the cholesterol and fat nonsense story was exactly that. And I discovered low carb and lower insulin. And uh, I got into that kind of field for around eight years publicly, you know, with podcasts and conferences. And then last March, April, I began to notice some very strange things happening in the world around this virus. So I've spent the last year focusing a lot on that. Gotcha. And where did the name The Fat Emperor come from? Yeah, that was a bit of a... It was myself and the wife, a couple of wines one night, and I was kind of fighting this corporate misinformation thing with the cholesterol and fat and all that stuff. And it just occurred to us as we were chatting that, you know, there's the emperor's new clothes, And we knew that the researchers for 30 years knew that the story was wrong, but they wouldn't say anything. So like emperor's new clothes. Mm -hmm. And then I thought of the emperor as the corporate power that maintained the false narrative, the false paradigm. And then the other thing was just the poor fat emperor, this overweight diabetic person who was trapped in a cycle of, of increased appetite and, and was never told how to get out of it. So it's kind of a triple metaphor kind of. I get that. I get that. So you've been very outspoken over the past year plus, as I have been, about the response to the whole pandemic situation. And there haven't been that many voices out there that have been, you know, consistently vocal, but you've really been one one of them who's been asking questions, challenging the narrative, putting out information, which is not necessarily just going along with exactly whatever is said in the mainstream news. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that and why? Yeah, sure. Uh, it was March, actually. I had glanced at the Diamond Princess. I was kind of curious because I had copped on that the swine flu issue back in '09. I realized that that was completely artificial and exaggerated, and I was amazed at how many people fell for it. Because really, when I checked out at the time in 2009, what's this about? 
I found out there were only really some Mexican drug addict types who had died and tiny percentages of people. So I knew that this whole thing was grossly uh, exaggerated. But when this thing came along, I kind of said to my wife, who was worried, don't worry about it. It's another swine flu. Maybe a, it'll be a lot worse, but it's mm. not going to be worse than a very severe flu. And we know from the Chinese data and the Diamond Princess, it's going to be enormously tilted towards people uh, at life expectancy age. So it's sad, but we're not going to be affected. Uh, but then the lockdowns came in and I thought, hold on a minute, these don't make any technical sense because of the nature of viral transmission. And they just got worse and worse. And in Ireland, they would not take away the lockdowns after the season collapsed naturally. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, okay, there's something really weird here. So I began to interview people, engineers and medical people on this. And uh, I just began to explore it, but I was very careful not to understate the problem. But as the months went by and it got crazier and crazier, I got more and more aggressive. And you've probably mm. seen me in the last few months. I'm, I'm quite aggressive because I'm absolutely outraged, to be quite yes. honest, of what's happening. Mm. Have you been surprised by the complicity of the general population and how just how compliant and not outraged most people have been? Yeah, it's been astonishing, but, you know, I kind of realized mid last summer in Europe when we knew it was seasonal, we knew it had collapsed with community immunity and the seasonal shift. And in the middle of the summer, they brought in mandatory masks. And I was telling people, but hold on a minute, if you bring in mandatory masks when there's no one in the ICU and nothing's happening, how can you ever take them out? This this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And And people went along with it. So I knew then we had a kind of mass almost mass hypnosis or after months of round the clock media coverage of how terrifying this was, it looked like people had fallen into the kind of mass delusion that it really was as bad as the media said. I mean, people in Ireland, I would tell people the average age of death is above life expectancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would tell them that 95% of the people who passed sadly uh, never got an ICU treatment because they were so profoundly ill already before COVID Mm -hmm. that it wasn't ethically appropriate to try and save them. That was 19 out of 20 in Ireland. Interesting. And, and people, they just, they seem to just believe the media and the experts can't all be wrong. Mm. This phenomenon. Yeah. One of the things I find most interesting is this seems to be the first time in my life where people seem to want it to be worse than it is. Right. And people want it to go on eternally. Right. People are allergic to good news. There's people you, you give them good news. You say, hey, the UK had zero deaths from this thing today. And then people are like, oh, but India, but variants, but this, but that, but third wave. And it's been really strange throughout this whole thing. It's like people are addicted to this cycle of fear and anxiety and worry and concern. And, you know, you've got people who are fully you know they've had they've taken both shots and they're still wearing two masks outside and they're still refusing to meet their friends or they're canceling friendships because and the whole thing is really blowing my mind i mean on one hand it's extremely interesting as someone who's just interested in human psychology it's fascinating to me but it's also very scary and sad and also it's annoying because other people are being punished by other people's irrational fears, right? If someone wants to wear, you know, suit up in their PPE and stay in their house for the next four years, 
God bless you. You know, you're welcome. I will fight for your right to be able to do that, provided you can sustain yourself. But if you're trying to force me to do the same or you're trying to force everyone else to do the same, that's where I have a problem. Um, and so the psychology behind this thing has been very, very strange and it continues. And what's extra weird about it is the fact that it's global. So it's not even like, okay, this is just happening in the UK or it's just in Ireland or it's just in the state. It's everywhere. I mean, if, if I've traveled to four countries over the past year and a half and it's like everywhere has got its own, its own form of the madness. Um, it seems like they're just a handful of pockets, Texas. Tennessee, Florida, Sweden, like there's a tiny handful of places where it's pretty much life as normal. Um, I do hope as an optimist that things get back there very soon, but I think it's very much up to the people. I think people need to decide when they've had enough. And some of us have had enough from the beginning, but some people are really, really addicted to this thing and they've even built their whole identity around it now. Yeah, it, it's established now the psychosis, I say, and it is fair to use the word psychosis. So as you say, there are people, maybe they're 10% of the worst people are very vocal and like you say, kind of gone crazy. Mm. And maybe there's 10% on the other end of the spectrum who know this is insane. And then you've got this distribution in the middle. But the problem with the big soft middle is most people are in corporate jobs. They've been told not to talk about it. They've been told we can't discuss this science. You have to go with the narrative. And they're basically just looking after themselves and rolling with the narrative. Mm -hmm. And the round-the-clock media coverage, my kids, I don't listen to the radio, but last summer my kids were telling me, you can't even listen to a radio station now. Every five or ten minutes there's an ad about COVID, and that was mm -hmm. in the summer. Mm -hmm. So the, the huge deluge of propaganda, and we know the government's all funded their media to do this, uh, is nonstop, and that has a huge profound effect on most people's psyche. Now, there's 10 or 15% of people through evolution for whatever reason that are more naturally skeptical. And regardless of what they hear, they're independent <laughs> thinkers. <laughs> yeah, you and me, but lots more yeah. too. Yeah, but, yeah. but we can't get a voice heard because when we get to the real nitty gritty of this problem, well, guess what? The video gets taken down off YouTube or the tweet mm -hmm. gets deleted. Mm -hmm. I just got knocked off LinkedIn again. And I was very careful not to go overboard. Yes. It doesn't matter. That's really disturbing, isn't it? That's one of the scarier parts of this, which, again, I think perhaps the average person is not aware of because they don't do what we do and they don't spend the time online doing what we do. So the average person doesn't know the amount of censorship that is going on and has been going on around this whole thing, not being allowed to talk about certain drugs and treatments, which have now essentially been been proven to be highly effective. Not just that you can't talk about them on YouTube, but the doctors were being silenced and threatened and people being coerced in all sorts of different directions. There's, I mean, this is just what I know. I mean, there, there's so much shady stuff that has been happening over the past year and a half. And there's maybe the best word is apathy, right? There's just this sort of apathy amongst the, the general population. And I think what also gets frustrating is there are two very different sort of belief systems that have come out, right? One is that the the more we comply, the faster we get back to the normal, right? And that bubble has been burst. I don't know how many times that bubble needs to be burst for people to get the picture. And then there's also the side, which is like, which I, which I think we're both on, which is like, look, your compliance 
is why this thing is continuing. As long as you allow them to keep, as long as you keep giving, they will keep taking, right? If they see that, okay, they can just bully people around and people can make this money here and flex this power here and gain control here. You're, you're not dealing with people who are just like average people, right? There are some people who are out there who are sinister and they don't care about people's health and well-being and happiness. They care about power and control and they care about money. And then there are people perhaps below that level who are more well-intentioned, but they're not really the ones who are pulling the strings. So they kind of end up going along with it as well. And then that cascades down the general population to the point that you have people, you know, wandering down the street with masks on for no reason. You know, that's something that's never, you know, wearing a mask outside. I mean, anywhere, it's never been conclusively you know, shown, okay, this is making a big difference. But outside, especially, there's never been any, not not even from, I don't know, some health organization or something, there, there has never been anything saying that, oh, wearing a mask whilst in your in your garden or walking down the street is going to protect you or anybody else. But it's just bizarre. I mean, in some places you've got, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I was, I was in Portugal and it's about 90% of people outside wearing masks, Nine, about, literally about 90%, which, which shocked me because I, I was there thinking the UK was bad. And, <laughs> and then I got there and I was like, whoa, like they are really, really, really into this. And it just creates a very bizarre dystopian environment. And I'm trying to work out how to pull people out of this or at least uh, prevent them from dragging everyone else into this thing for any longer. Yeah, it's, I mean, you said a lot there, Zuby, but absolutely all of it. Uh, in terms of this effect, I mean, what always comes to my mind is the phrase useful idiots, because you're mm. absolutely right. There are a lot of malign organizations, and that's not a conspiracy theory. I mean, we know the WEF and we know the pharmaceutical industrial complex, and we know so many more organizations are orchestrating quite a bit of this through their influence in world governments. And it's the reason for the joined up that all the countries are doing it. If you took out it, I could name four or five organizations and magically in March 2020 just freeze them. This couldn't have happened. Yes. You know, so there, there's a lot of influence there, big organizations. But I mean, it's just, I did a three minute video explaining this. The governments are creating fear with their sage type panels and their psychologists telling mm -hmm. everyone they must be safe and this is a huge deal. Uh, the people get fearful, and then they demand more protection back from the government. So you got a destructive feedback loop, and the government give them more. And then you got the media feed fear like a torrent because they're being paid to feed fear. And then the people get more scared, and then they are more interested in more media coverage of this terror. Uh, so the media is fueled. So all of these loops are self-reinforcing. It's like a runaway engine that's literally run out of control mm. and i think in the background then you've got a lot of bad organizations who are just inputting and keeping the machine in that state they don't need to do all the work you know the machine has run out of control itself but they need to keep the momentum and just make sure it doesn't slow down and that's mm. the way i view it how do we break the loop uh, people getting informed, and I, I agree with you, the only way is grassroots now. The politicians won't touch this. I've had a series of politicians informed to me very reliably who know that this is crazy, but they can't even speak. 
So the politicians, many of them are trapped. I have friends who are actually quite technical and senior and managerial roles who've been buddies for many, many years, and they don't really interact with me anymore. They know I'm correct. That's mm -hmm. not the problem. They're uncomfortable that I'm calling it. It's uncomfortable. They're in senior jobs. Mm -hmm. They're uncomfortable with me coming out with this. So even though they know I'm correct, they've detached from it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of ostrich time. They're just not going to get engaged with this. It's too hot. You know, you granny killer. Ugh, it's a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. You might be anti-vax, which has nothing to do with it. But anyone who questions the narrative could get any slur directed at them. Sure. So, yeah, it's tough. It's crazy. So essentially, it's cowardice. Essentially. It, I I love you said that because lately I don't like saying that in the same way that it's people say. It's not comfortable, say, but, but, it, but, it, but it is. It's true. It is. Yeah. It's true cowardice because I told these people there will be mandatory medications brought in by law as soon as medications are ready that they like. And I told them that last June. And a couple of them said, ah, come on, bit of a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. But here we are. So everything I've said, seasonality, you know, true infection fatality rates, the mass medication, the mandatory measures that won't be let go, two weeks flat in the curve, more like two years. All, everything I've said has come true, pretty much. Same. Yep. This, this has been one past year where I've, I've hated being correct. I've, I've actually yeah. really been quite, de quite desperately wanting to get some egg on my face and be like, okay, you know yeah. what? Like, fair enough. Like, I, was, I was way off, but it's just like, oh, okay. Well, I, I tweeted something the other day. I said, yesterday's conspiracy theories are today's news, right? All the stuff that people were saying were saying a year ago, whether you're talking about the from, from the origin of the virus itself to certain treatments, to certain preventions, to what the government is going to do if you give them an inch. Um, you know, over the past, I mean, just go to beginning of this year, people were there saying, oh, you know, the... You know, taking taking the shot is going to equal freedom, right? This is the ticket to freedom, freedom, freedom. And I was like, no, it won't be, right? It won't be, right? That that and and that's a bad reason to take an injection, by the way. Like, if you're concerned about a virus and you don't want to get ill, that makes sense. If you're doing it just because you're essentially being coerced or bullied or threatened or you know, oh my, I mean, I had a guy tell me that he took it because his his fiance said he wouldn't sleep with him unless he took it, and I'm just like. You know, well, like I don't want to get involved in other people's business, but I'm just like that's not a good reason to take. <laughs> like, that's not you know, you know. Oh, I've had someone say, yeah, I, I wanted to go on holiday, or I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be labeled, I didn't want to be called a name. I'm like that's not a good reason to take any drug, like to take any medication. There's good reasons to take medications, but it really concerns me that that is why people are doing things. Or you've got people wearing masks because they don't want people to think. um that they're conservatives or that they're uh, anti-science or that they're, you know, I've seen literally, I've seen posts on social media saying, oh, you know, I'm still wearing my mask because I don't, it's from the US, right? I don't want people to think I'm a Republican. And I'm just like, I mean, at least you're being honest, but I mean, that's not following, <laughs> that, that, that's just tribalism, right? That's not following no. science. That's not, it doesn't make sense. It's, it does in one sense, but not in a viral capacity. Well, well, yeah, it's conformity and uh, back to the C word, cowardice. Mm. Uh, there's no question there's a cowardice there because people are scared to stand up, to show some leadership, to say, look, I'll go along with this, you know, but at the same time, I'm, I'm saying this is not really valid. Come on, guys. Even if all the people who knew that said that, it would make such a difference. But I reckon 
you know, there were studies on this that were done in doctors' waiting rooms where they'd have a bell and everyone would stand up. And there were a couple of people in the room who, who, are, who were the experiment and the rest okay. of the people were, were running it. <laughs> and, you know, after one or two cycles, they stand up with everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. humans are like this, apparently. It's sad. But there's around 10% who are, are not. Yeah. And we usually depend on those to help fix these kinds of crazy things. Mm. Uh, but here we've got the might of corporate and censorship acting against the normal, you know, uh, the kind of mass delusion or, you know, the madness of crowds. We go mad together and then we recover our sanity one by one. Well, that normal process is being stymied because the censorship is stopping the normal recovery of sanity. So we're in a tricky position. Mm. It's really disturbing because, you know, we're not living in North Korea or in China, or in Soviet Russia, or something like that. So I personally find it... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, two two things scare me. I I mean, more than two things scare me, but two things I find really disturbing about it are the fact that this is happening in, and that this has happened in so-called free countries, right? This isn't just happening. You know, I think if it it were just in certain parts of Asia, or maybe in the Middle East, etc., you could be like, okay, well... That's authoritarianism, you know, that's kind of just how they do things. But the fact that people in the UK, Canada, Australia, USA, people are afraid to speak out, whether they're doctors, people in the media, just your average person on the street, academics, scientists, whoever it is. I mean, millions and millions of people on social media, absolutely terrified just to speak. And this this actually goes beyond this particular issue. This is a wider this is something that's actually been building up quite a lot over the last few years. It's not that people became afraid to speak out in 2020. They'd been afraid to speak out. I'd say probably from, I'd say it started getting, it started taking a bad turn around 2014, I noticed. And it seems to just be escalating and escalating. And it's it's a self-reinforcing loop. It creates this chill and then it just tightens and tightens. And I'm always screaming at people like, yo, please, like, I can't, <laughs> I and a few other people, we, we can't do, we can't do everything, right? We can kind of lead the charge <laughs> and use our platforms and, you know, take, take some of those insults and some of those verbal bullets for you. But like, I appreciate the support, but I, I can't do this alone, right? If you, we, people need to stand up and the silent majority needs to speak, right? The, the silent majority is, is no good if they're silenced, <laughs> right? They're, they're, they're no good. People need to be willing to speak up. Exactly. And that's what we need. It's it's grassroots and it's people just beginning to show some leadership in some small way in their lives. And just to question it even verbally, even if you don't want to go on the record and social media, question it even with your friends and relations. If enough people did that, you begin to get a shift. But it's like, I don't know, people, a friend of mine I was talking to last May and I was ranting and raving. We were having dinner down south in Ireland and I had a couple of glasses of wine and this person doesn't drink at all. But this person's a real autodidact. He is uh, physics, mathematics, personnel or psychology. He's just into everything. And he kept trying to tell me, Ivor, they don't care. And I was trying to tell him, but if they knew that, you know, the shop workers were not locked down at all, right through the epidemic with no mask, and they had no infection or death extra, that proves it. So I'm telling him all this stuff, and he says, Ivor, Ivor, I know, but they don't care. And after a while, I realized I was ranting, and he'd said this around 10 times. And he explained (laughs) that, he said, I've been watching this for around 25 years, and he's a manager in a company. 
and he's in charge of a lot of staff. Mm. And he said the safism, this safety focus has crept to the point where you're wearing steel capped shoes in the car park. Now it used to be just in the warehouse where you had oil barrels Mm -hmm. and the whole world has been moving away from communities, away from traditional ways. Everyone's getting more careful what they say. There isn't, you know, there's, there's political correctness. Everything has to be safe. No child left behind. No one can die anymore. And look, good safety is good. I agree with it. But I notice society I think has grown or been brought, been brought perhaps a little to a point where they are literally ready for the harvest. And I think the harvest was called in March, 2020. Ooh. Ooh, that's heavy. When you say the harvest, what do you mean by that? Well, I think the people have dark. Been, <laughs> so. Yeah, well, oh, I don't mean any of this crazy <laughs> depopulation. Sorry, clarification. <laughs> no, not that stuff. Uh, by the way, I, I'm not even worried about the harms in, 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 in those things. I'm worried about passports, freedoms, control, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coercion. I'm not actually too worried about the actual substances, would you believe, for the yes. record. Uh, but also, I'm, I don't go for any of those depopulation, all these conspiracy theories. When I say harvest, I mean our culture and our society has been brought increasingly to zero tolerance for risk. Mm-hmm. And I think when this thing blew and the media jumped on it and the WHO, the WEF and all these politicians and all of these sage type councils, the people were not in a position of saying, OK, easy, guys. OK, hold on a minute. What is the risk again? Mm-hmm. Hey, it looks to me it's nearly all nursing homes, a very high percentage. Should we not just protect those? A society 30 years ago that probably would have started asking those questions back. Mm-hmm. We now have a society that is, as my friend described, they're kind of ripe to be fooled in a sense. That was his point. Mm-hmm. How do you think we got here? Well, I think some of it is, you know, when you're buried in the devices we're further and further from World War II. Now, that sounds a bit dramatic, but it's a well-known phenomenon that if you go a long time with safety, societies tend to get more and more risk-averse, and then when something happens, they can be very weak. Mm-hmm. So I think there's that uh, distance from true challenges and true hardships mm-hmm. has left us very soft. The information technology revolution, all the kids on their phones, all the adults on their phones – you know, a breakup of communities, religion, the loss of religion and, and tightness in communities. I'm not saying really, I know religion has a lot of problems. I'm saying just as a phenomenon, the loss of all that has left uh, a kind of a void oh, for yeah. any new religions that come along <laughs> like the last year. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the whole way our society has gone. Now, if you want to be a little conspiracy, you could say that the corporates and a lot of interested parties are very happy to move people away from being locally sourced, locally produced, local strong communities because they're a vastly better market if they're a modern global globalized kind of, um, what's the word for it they call it? Not decimization, but your individualization. Atomization. You know, when everyone's kind of individualized, they are a dream market. Mm. But if they're all locked in their own communities with their own cultures and traditions... You can't just go in and sell them any nonsense. So, mm. yeah, it's re- it's really interesting, man. It's been such a it's been such a fascinating past year and a half. This 
the, my, my, my darkest realization of it or biggest takeaway is it makes me uncomfortable to even say it, but it makes me totally be able to understand the 20th century atrocities from a psychological perspective, right? I, I've always, you know, you read history and you try to get your head around certain things and you're like, well, why didn't people stand up to this? Or how did they let that happen? Or how did this happen? Whatever. And for the first time in my life, I've seen the psychology play out on both the individual level and the group level. And you can see how propagandized people can be, how easily people can be manipulated, how quickly things can happen as well, right? I mean, if you just go back to beginning of last year, stuff was pretty normal, right? Like <laughs> you, you didn't need a permission from the government to, to, to go outside. People were not uh, running around covering their faces and yelling at other people to cover their faces. People were not, uh, you know, injecting, putting their children up for experimentation, essentially, because they're scared. There, there's a whole lot of stuff that just changed very, very quickly, and people acclimatized to it very quickly as well. And a lot of the propaganda was very on your, on the nose, right? When they're talking about the new normal, the great reset, build back better. And they're literally saying it. And then you are kind of like, hang on, wait, this is what they're doing. And people are still like, oh, stop being a conspiracy theorist. You're crazy. What? And I'm like, it's on the cover of Time magazine. People are there saying the great reset is a conspiracy theory. There's a website for it. There's a book about it. It's on the cover of Time magazine. Everyone is using this term. And then you say it and people are like, oh, no, like they just dismiss you. And that level of cognitive dissonance has been so bizarre for me to see. There are, there are certain people where I just don't know. I mean, you can reach certain people, right? There are definitely people who I've had DM me, message me, even in real life, say, you know what, Zuby, like after this long and, and seeing this and this and this, all these this mountain of inconsistencies, I have had people be like, mm, you know, I, what you said back then was right. But then there are people who just double down, triple down, quadruple down. And I don't know what level things would have to go to for them to be able to be like, mm, okay, maybe there's something else going on here. I, yeah, absolutely, Zuby. And the sad thing is when you get to the level for some of these people that they, they're going to call it, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Because there'd be so many controls in at that stage that it's too late. Like, like in 1930s Germany, you know, if you throw scraps of meat to a ravenous tiger, and everyone thinks the tiger's probably okay. He just needs a little bit of meat and he'll go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it don't happen. Eventually, the tiger eats you. Um, but everyone is in cognitive dissonance beyond anything I've seen. I mean, I've managed teams of people as a people manager for, for over 15, 20 years. And, and I know a lot about the psychology and, and manipulation too, to be quite honest, and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. Uh, but I've never seen mass psychosis. I've only seen individual psychosis Mm. and this is like uh, salem witch trials it's like dutch tulip crisis you know this is extraordinary it it's kind of mass hypnosis uh, through Mm. propaganda and i yeah but it it still can be fixed i think i wouldn't be too negative i think the people will increasingly awaken now we have a team in ireland covidrecovery.ie mostly medical doctors consultants and surgeons and then some business people and we put it together last october or september um, mostly they put it together and i helped them with data and we've stayed and we've we've published several pamphlets uh, some with 50 scientific references and they were sent to all the politicians in ireland 
but this group is noting of late increasingly more people saying, look, you know, it looks like you had a point. So as we come into the summer, there are more people thinking like, yeah, this is a bit crazy. Yeah. I don't know the numbers, but there's certainly more. And I think the next couple of months is crucial mm-hmm. to get as many as possible because once autumn comes and they get a smell of cases, they're just yep. going to go straight into the nonsense again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And no, I'm with you. I'm very much what I call a realistic optimist. So <laughs> I, I do, uh, I do always want to, you know, there are certain things that always win in the end. Right. And mm-hmm. one of them is the truth. Uh, one of them is sort of uh, natural biology. One of them is capitalism, right? There are certain things that always win in the end. How long it takes for that to happen, big question, but it always ends up. So even when I'm seeing you know businesses doing certain things, like I don't think I've seen it in the UK, but in other countries, I've seen posts online where they're having vaccinated and unvaccinated seating sections or... I saw yesterday someone posted up a, a picture of a, I don't know if it was a nightclub or a bar and you're only allowed in, you know, you know, you need to show proof of proof of uh, vax to get in, et cetera. And I'm like, capitalism will fix that. Capitalism will fix that. So even if they were to try that and certain places were to do it, I'm like, it's, it's, it's just a bad move. Discrimination is always a bad move. It doesn't matter yeah. whether it's, you know, racial or um, sexual orientation or, you know, mm. gender, what, if you are a business, if you run a business and you actively discriminate against a group of people, it it's, it's, it's bad, right? Like it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't go well for you. So even if someone wanted to do that, I think in the long run, it, it won't work, right? You'll put yourself out of business, right? If you own a gym or a restaurant and you're forcing people to essentially show their papers to, come in and you're discriminating against people like that someone else can come and open up a gym next door to you or a restaurant next door to you which is not doing that and you're just going to out compete them right you'll just take their customers because because even people who choose to um you know because there are a lot of people who have there are tons of people just like we've you know vaccines are not new things right (laughs) we've had them for you know our whole life it's only that in the past year and a half where it's become this weird hysteria where people suddenly, I mean, I don't remember anyone ever asking me if I have, did you get the flu jab this year? Did you like, no, you know, that was never a thing. And all of a sudden with this particular one, it's like all or nothing. And that is pretty crazy, or at least that that's how they're trying to frame it. But I think that I do think that human decency and sensibility and calmness, especially now that worse well pat we're well past the the worst of this thing um unless like some unless some super freakish thing happens it's mostly behind us so i think that people are also just emotionally i'm I'm noticing certainly even amongst people i know that emotionally the temperature is coming down so people are just thinking more rationally and reasonably so six months ago maybe they were still kind of you know a little bit panicking and when people are emotional they're not thinking clearly but I think once people calm down, as you said, summer comes, all you know, all these d- uh, diseases anyway massively decrease from colds to flus to this, and people actually go out there and they're and they're enjoying the sun, they're seeing their friends, they're just getting back to normal life, and they're just calm again. I think that'll be, I think that'll be a v- extr- extremely strong turning point. I think at that point, um, 
I, I yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe I'm wishing, but I, I sincerely hope that that would be the level where it's like, okay, that's that that's it. You you can't get 80, 90 percent of the population on board with this agenda anymore. You know, people have had enough. They've sacrificed enough. They're not seeing the justification for it. Um, you know, all the stuff that they were feared of has been has, have been afraid of is now alleviated. I think you're going to get, you know, 10% of people who just never go back to normal and they just, right. I think, I think that's going to happen. I think a percentage mm-hmm. of people, they're just not going back to normal. Like nothing is going to get them back to normal for the rest, for the 10 years from now, they'll still be, you know, wearing masks and hiding from unvaxxed people, et cetera. Yeah. But that's, that's on them. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, there is a, a smallish percentage who have gone full soaked mattress Yes. And I think they're gone. Uh, I, I don't think they're recoverable. Uh, but a lot of people, you're absolutely right. It, it's going to be a bit nuanced, though, because we see the variants being hyped massively yes. to prevent opening up. So like, you have to ask, well, what's driving that? The ICUs are empty. Someone made the comment, like, there's about as many cases now, roughly, as there are hospitals in the UK. And here we are talking about not opening up. I mean, if the PCR positivity goes up with a variant, all that matters is ICUs and, to be honest, really, deaths. Mm-hmm. And But they're not using those metrics now. They're all talking cases like last year's case-demic in the summer, as I called it. Yeah. You know, in the winter, one other point is, though, in the summer, if they open up mostly, what they're going to do is they're going to keep the majority happy. They'll perceive that, okay, we're opened up, so we're not angry and we're not going to push back. The problem is the the danger that they begin to put in more measures coming into the autumn and winter, even though it will have no more mortality impact than any prior flu. We will have another six or eight months of people who have gotten six or eight months older who had stage four cancer or who are 82 and reasonably okay. Now they're 82 and a half and they're profoundly moribund we're going to have a new batch of people who are susceptible. So we're going to, like always with flu, we'll get another amount of action in the winter. Mm-hmm. And if, if the authorities are waiting, and when that starts, to start implementing tougher distancing, I mean, where does that go? Yeah. Um, so, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful as well, man. I'm hopeful as well. I think it's it's unnerving, though, because this is one of those situations where you do when like, I mean, I'm someone who've, who's big on personal responsibility and taking control of your life. Right. And throughout this whole thing, you know, I've been doing well, my career is going fine, etc. And I'm okay. But what's unnerving about it is I know that a lot of it is not in my hands. Right. Like this is one mm-hmm. of the few times like where you feel like, man, actually, this really depends on what other how other people behave. Right. And again, now this isn't, you know, I guess people have been saying this all along with the with the disease itself. Um, but that's really how I'm feeling about the, the sort of the loss of civil liberties, the la- lack of freedoms, the government overstep this totalitarian creep. I think it really is dependent on not just myself or yourself, right? I think if everyone was like us, this would have ended, this would have ended a year ago, right? Yeah. It wouldn't have got it, off the ground really no, because no. 
within a week or two when the curves curled over in UK Ireland, clearly, mm-hmm. um, if everyone was like you or me, we would have been getting very vocal yeah. last April about, okay, guys, stop this messing now. Yeah. And if the hospitals suddenly get worse and worse, they won't. But if they mm-hmm. do, we can bring it back in again. Mm-hmm. But, but, but no, everyone took the two weeks flat in the curve and rolled with it. You know, another interesting one, Zuby, I, I was going through risk figures recently, and I astonished myself at how low the risks were. And I've been okay. in this data. But what I did was I took the Ireland, and Ireland is roughly like Europe. UK, England's worse because of metabolic disease and other factors. But Ireland roughly matches Europe. And we know the lockdowns have very limited impact from tens of papers studying the actual data. Mm-hmm. So now we have over a year. And we have two full seasons where we got up to 25% positivity. So we know we had enormous spread over a year. So what was, looking back, the risk for an under 50s person, given that that? And the risk was around 1 in 50,000. Yep. 1 in 50,000. For an under 25 years old person, the risk was around 1 in 280,000. Mm-hmm. And even under 70s, as a full group, down to zero years, was one in 8,000. These risks are tiny. No disrespect to the people who passed. And those risks include all the people who had multiple comorbidities. Mm -hmm. And they made up most of the passings. So if you take them out, the risks are going down to like lightning strike for under 25s. And no one knows this. No one the, knows this data. The thing, yeah, and it, it angers people when you tell them, though. This is the point I was making <laughs> earlier. People get angry. People want it. You would think, okay, if there's a super deadly virus sweeping through the planet, etc., you would think that any news is greatly welcomed and embraced, any positive news, right? Because remember, when this thing started, they were saying that the, the death rate could be up to 4 or 5%. Okay, that was like some of the initial information that was coming out. So when it turns out, oh, it's actually under, it's it's well under 1% for the vast majority of the population. That should have been amazing. People are happy. Great. Oh, it doesn't kill children. Fantastic. Wonderful. That's great to know. Cool. Kids are safe. Oh, wow. It's not massively sweeping through the continent of Africa and wiping people out as people feared, right? Got a billion, over a billion people on the continent of Africa. Um, you know, obviously healthcare systems and infrastructure is not as good as it is in the West, et cetera. One of my big fears actually when it started in terms of the disease itself was, okay, if this thing is that bad, when this hits Africa, what's that going to look like? Right. That was one of my, Mm. that was one of my thoughts. And then quickly it turned out, oh, okay. It's not, it's not having much of an impact there. Okay. Good. Like great. Wonderful. But so many people, they don't want any good news. If you say that the deaths are low, they'll start talking long-term effects. If you say that this is down, they'll start talking about variants. If you say the UK is doing great, they'll start talking about India, right? If you say, oh, well, what about Texas? What about Florida? What about Sweden? What about Tennessee? What about all these other places um, where they're, they've, they're just free? They've been open. They're chilling. You know, things are going down. And they, they don't want to hear it. They want to stay scared. It's a very strange phenomenon. It, it's shocking. And if you compare if we, to what we said earlier, back to the war, I mean, a true leader gives people hope yes. when, it, when it truly is a dire situation. Like if you think Churchill, they were looking down the barrel of a gun. To be honest, mm-hmm. they probably themselves realized they could lose. And it's a disaster. And the millions of people dying. And they gave hope. 
And here we are with a 0.1% or 99.9% approximate survival rate, real world to date. Mm -hmm. And and everything has to be bad, like you say. And I think it speaks to the softness or the cowardice, sorry to say it, of modern society. Mm. Uh, How else can you explain it? Do you know something else? Mm. No, finish your thought there, sorry. Oh, well, I'm just saying, the, I always say the only forgiveness I can find in my heart for them is that massive, massive propaganda for months and months on end, in fairness, has an effect on the human brain at a deep level in, in many people. And you could argue that they've been damaged by a machine of propaganda. And it's not entirely that they were just bedwetters themselves, but still and all... I don't know. It's hard to forgive. My two drivers, I've said in every interview, not every, but most, I have five children. I'm focused on the future generation. So is my wife. Mm -hmm. We don't really care about ourselves. Everyone dies. We're future focused. So that drives me in this thing because they've destroyed the future of the young. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is truth and science. I spent 30 years. Show me the data was my catchphrase. I have always been known for never allowing obfuscation or twisting of technical truth. It's kind of like my religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine how the last year has felt for me. I'll never give up. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah, you touched on some really interesting things there because to me, one of the grossest, to me, there's two really gross and inhumane aspects of this. And they're actually on two opposite ends of the demographic spectrum. Number one is people who are actually elderly, who are more vulnerable to this thing being left to die alone and not being able to see friends, not being able to see family, people just families being separated and people just being just being left there to die. I think that's deeply inhumane. I also think it's horrible how old people have just been used as propaganda pieces, right? It's all been protect grandma, don't kill grandma, protect. I'm like, wait, did you have you actually spoken to, you know, the elderly and the vulnerable are not one homogenous group of people who are in favor of all of these restrictions and uh, lockdowns and measures that have been taken upon the entire population justified by the notion that they're, this is to protect them, right? That they, they didn't consent to that. They didn't necessarily all want that. So that's one aspect. And then the second one, which might anger me even more, is adults sacrificing their children, essentially, for because they're scared. We know that this thing does not harm, let alone kill children, for the most part. Extraordinarily rare. Um, I mean, I don't even know if up to a dozen children in the UK have, have died from this thing, right? And But still, we shut down the schools for a year, put masks on kids, make them socially distance and see their friends behind glass barriers and hug people through plastic film and all of this stuff, just what has been done to children. I'm like, man, it's supposed to be the other way around. I'm not a parent. I'm an uncle times nine, but I was, I've always been like, Hey, aren't adults supposed to make the sacrifices for the kids? Not the other way around. Now you've got people bringing their children in to, to, you know, be part of a scientific experiment and start getting shots for something that doesn't harm them to begin with, which they're already essentially immune against. Why? Because the adults are scared, right? Because the adults are scared. And I'm just like, man, this is that is tragic. Like those are two aspects of it that really, that genuinely anger me because I'm just like, dude, 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 what is, that's not how it's supposed to be. And 
there's more to life than this one particular virus, right? This one, this one thing. It's suddenly, for the past year and a half, I don't know who made the philosophical decision that this one thing is the most important thing in the world. It's more important than civil liberty. It's more important than human rights. It's more important than freedom. It's more important than cancer. It's more important than heart disease. It's more important than every other cause of potential harm or death. It's more, I don't know who made that decision, but everyone, the whole world has just been marching in lockstep under this decision that this is the most important thing and everything falls by the wayside. Well, we need to trample people's rights. No problem, right? This, this, this thing, right? We need to do this. No problem. There's this. We need to do that. We need to crush the economy. We need to put people out of business. We need to make millions of people unemployed. Cool. Fine. No, no matter. Like we just, this one virus. And that's all of that to me has just been, it's been mind blowing. Cause I'm just like, where is the rationality here? Where's the logic? This is not making sense. Assuming this is where you, this is where the, the tinfoil hat comes on, right? Because the only way it makes sense is if you assume that this is not about protecting people's health and well-being, right? That's that's the only way it makes sense. If you assume, okay, this is about power, money, control, um, certain agendas, it all makes sense. But if you assume, okay, this is just about you know health, and there are some really basic things that give that away. Why aren't they testing for antibodies? Why aren't they why why, why aren't they testing for antibodies? Like. I mean, the majority of the population should already have immunity now, whether through, um, you know, taking the shots or through having it and recovering. Majority of the population should already have immunity. Yeah. And T-cell, they know, the immunologists, uh, Professor Vida Stadler, I interviewed last summer on YouTube, took the interview down, and he's an emeritus professor of immunology, right? He's the vaccine pope of mm. Europe, an mm. industry guy, and YouTube took it down. Um, because he was not following the narrative, but he has been calling his colleagues since last uh, summer immunity deniers, driving them crazy. <laughs> because he said, what you, what you said, he said, we know, we know that around 80% of people when this new virus came along were de facto immune, if not mm -hmm. more. Now, it turns out roughly it looks like around 90% were de facto immune or effectively immune. They were either completely asymptomatic or didn't catch it, or got caught in their mucous membranes, or they had T-cell defense from prior coronaviruses, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But he said the immunologists should actually know this, but they all ignored their own immunology 101, and they ran with 100% are exposed yep. with the narrative. And he called them immunity deniers, and now here we are. They suppressed basically T-cell testing, which for people listening – when you get this disease in a significant way, you'll generate antibodies, but your body clears those quickly to a very low level because you can't keep keeping antibodies. You, you get bigger and bigger. So your body keeps the T cells and that can trigger antibodies super fast if you get exposed again. Mm -hmm. T cell, the testing was effectively never developed, never used and almost suppressed yes. since last April, May. Mm -hmm. Um. That's what you do. I mean, an engineer with this problem would rapidly rack up T-cell tests, separate out all the people who are exposed, focus on the aged frail, and isolate them for their own safety. Mm -hmm. And it, all of the things that just make sense, none of them happen. But you're right, Zuby. The world is not this stupid by accident. Mm -hmm. There are organizations, and I won't mention them here, but you don't have to look far to see who's been driving policy and strategy, including all of what we mentioned. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. It's a very well-known organization. And in fact, if you speak against that organization, you get your YouTube video taken down. Mm -hmm. And we know who the organization is, and there's many more. They set all of the tone for what happened. Yes. And then you've got to ask why. And it's extra dark because, you know, we're talking about people's lives here. I think that's why we both feel this. Yeah. I think this is why we both feel this righteous indignation, right? Because this isn't some low stakes, low stakes game, right? You're talking about whether you're talking about people who actually got the disease and died many unnecessarily um, because they could have been treated, but they weren't largely again because of suppression and censorship and fear and cowardice, but also everybody has sacrificed, right? Everybody has felt this past year and a half. People have been affected in different ways. Millions of people lost their jobs. Millions of businesses closed. Millions of children out of school or, you know, away from everyone, away from their friends, away from certain family members, more depression, more anxiety, more just so many impacts. So, so, so many impacts. And that's why it's so frustrating and it makes me it makes me like i'm a very chilled guy but the more i think about it the more angry it makes me because it's just such high stakes right people are making these decisions and you're kind of like dude are you not i mean are you are you so stupid that you don't understand what the consequences to this are or are you so malicious that that's what you want or you just don't care and then you're pointing at everyone else and calling them selfish which is even more insane. It, it, it is insane. And you're right, though. They came after the young, and that has deeply shocked me to my core because that's, that's a society or organizations with no soul who are prepared to throw the young under the bus for whatever agenda or belief or ideology they have. And, I mean, the damage, just to give a sense of scale, and look, nothing is proven in science, but we have over a year of data now for lockdown effectiveness, etc. Mm-hmm. My estimate is, and I think it's very fair, is the societal health and general societal negative in- impacts of these measures is at least 10 times worse than whatever they saved, probably 100 times worse. The cost-benefit mm-hmm. of this thing is 100 times in the negative, and just to add one more thing, of all the analyses of effectiveness of lockdowns and masks, this is just a reality. Overwhelmingly, they show that you can't actually even measure them. So if they're there, they're very small. Yeah, no correlation. But it's worse because one or two really good papers uh, from people I'm connected to, published in preprint, they show clearly, theoretically, but very good analysis that if you succeed in flattening the curve a little, you will end up with maximized death from COVID over the long term because you suppress some community immunity that would have protected granny. So the people who say to us, oh, anti-lockdown, you don't care about granny, I turn a mirror and the science is on my side. If anything, you are killing more grannies by promoting this, Mm -hmm. never mind the massive suffering and societal health and economic destruction of these measures, which is 100 times bigger again. Yeah. But they don't want to face this, I think, Subi, because now the cognitive dissonance, even if they begin to think, okay, this maybe was kind of a bit nonsense, mm-hmm. they'll never admit it because they spent a year wedded to it and yes. screeching, supporting yes. it. Very embarrassing. 
Yeah, it is. And it's it's an interesting one because I think people like yourself and myself, we are honest enough that we don't like to use that attack vector, right? So if yeah. someone is if someone is in favor of masks and lockdowns, I don't like to I I don't I I I try to give them, you know, I use the principle of charity, right? I'm assuming that they have the best intentions with that. So I'm not going to go to immediately to the, oh, well, look at how many people are suffering or dying as a result of lockdowns, right? People not getting into hospital for other treatments, people going out of business, increased poverty, so on and so forth, right? I could easily jump straight to that, but I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. But it can be very frustrating when other people won't do that with you, right? So if you are saying, mm, I don't think there should be a mask mandate or I'm opposing lockdowns or I'm just pro-freedom and pro-civil liberties, then you're the grandma killer. You're the selfish one. You're the one who wants people. And I'm just like, I, I got to a stage where I just stopped engaging with that. Or if yeah. I do, I, or if I do, I'm very, very curt with it, right? Like, I'm just, look, I'm, I'm going to just call you what you are because, yeah, you know, because it's, it's not, it's not fair. It's like, look, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that to other people. So let's try to have the principle of charity here and we can have a real adult discussion. But if it's just, oh, you, you're killing Grandma and dude, conversation's over. I'm right. It's, uh, it, it's you. I've just learned you can't deal with people like that. And it's not worth even trying. It's not worth even trying because they're, they're just, they're not, they're not honest actors. They've already shown that they're not honest. You know, if, if the only way you can make your argument is to intentionally misinterpret the other person's in the worst way possible, then it, the conversation isn't worthwhile. So that's kind of my uh, that's kind of my rule now. Yeah, that that's a fair approach. I mean, I'm I'm very involved so heavily. Well, obviously, you you've done fantastic work too to to help just wake people up mm. in an incredibly articulate way and 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 data accurate way as well. Even though you're not trying to be a mathematical guru on the <laughs> figures and all. But I'm so ingrained in every aspect of this, of the technology, if you will, that I find it hard to resist if someone accuses me. And funny enough, they don't really accuse me directly anymore of that kind of granny killing. Because mm -hmm. I think they're wary now because I've demonstrated so many times to these people that what they're saying is nonsense. I think they just steer clear now. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird. I've noticed that I mean, as well. I've, I've noticed that as well recently. I, the, the amount of backlash that you get for speaking out about certain things now compared to, say, a year ago or eight months ago, it's yeah. it's a lot quieter now. It's a lot quieter. It, it is. And actually, I, had, uh, I heard in advance in December that when the winter resurgence was happening and the mass medications were actually rolling, there was going to be a massive propaganda campaign against everyone in the anti-lockdown type uh, mm -hmm. camp. And by God, it happened. I mean, we saw all the, the characters in the UK were well-known. I was in the Guardian. I had websites dedicated to me that sprang up. Whole teams of people were pulling every tweet I said and picking through them. And uh, it was Snowden, Edward Snowden mm -hmm. and, and his bunch. They just basically made a mini industry after coming after me. People oh, wow. were ringing me up, Subi, saying, are you okay? Because they were so shocked at the propaganda wave. And I said, I'm fine. Why? But, but... How are you okay? And I actually answered them truthfully. I said, because I'm right. And because <laughs> what they're doing is utterly wrong and destroying the future of the young. So mm. why would I be 
get all offended or nervous or bashful about being attacked even publicly. You can call it righteous, but it is righteous. I am right. Yeah. And there's something huge at play here, the future. Um, so I don't care what they say. I don't care. And I will be proven right. And I was within two or three months. Uh, the data came through. It collapsed exactly as I said. Mm -hmm. And now they're running at negative mortality rates for a couple of months. And overall, for overwhelmingly for the countries in Europe, it's not really markedly different than prior yeah. bad flu seasons. Yeah, well, I think some people will not be satisfied until people start coming back to life, until we have a, a literal negative death rate. And <laughs> people start getting resurrected. I don't think some people will be happy to, to open up until then. But um, I know we're just coming up to an hour now, Ivor. But um, what, do you have anything coming out or that's available that you would like people to check out where they can find out some more information? Yeah, well, no, no, thanks for that, Subi. Uh, well, just my YouTube, you can just go through the timeline. There's a lot of corona there, and there's also metabolic health and, and other health aspects, which, of course, you're a major into as well. Um, our new movie is coming out. We did very well in Kickstarter last year. It will be the COVID Chronicles. Okay. There will be no anti-vax, and we won't even really get into masks, but we will tell the full story and we've got multiple professors like Professor Levitt and Dr. John Lee from the UK. We interviewed on location. Professor Bida Stadler in Switzerland, I interviewed with a team on location. And also senior health people in South Africa, which has turned out to be a very interesting country, uh, as it turned out. Uh, so we're going to get an animation uh, company as well to do CGI animation because we collected around 150,000 sterling approximately in three awesome. weeks last December. Uh, this will be, I think, the definitive movie. We intended March to come out. It'll be more like July because we've had to stay with the evolving situation, but now we're pulling it all together. And that'll be one to watch for. Awesome. Ivor, it's been so good to have you on the podcast, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation, and I know a lot of people are going to enjoy this one. So thank you for coming on. No, thank you so much, Zuby. I'm a huge fan, as you know, and all my people are going to be really excited about this one. Awesome. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.